0: We had like maybe 25 people in first service. And I think there may have been less in second service. And you know what we were doing that that Sunday morning? Some of you that were here, what what did we do? What happened because of that? Yes, all these things. (laughs) Um, We did, I, I personally... And I don't use this authority very often, but I personally uh, gave bonus points for heaven. So, I mean, I don't have that kind of power usually. I mean, I have that kind of power, but I don't like to just wield that kind of power all the time. So, um, all right, we are going to go to, uh, this was, this was... um, almost forced upon me by Shelby. <laughs> no, she, just, she actually just casually had a text like three weeks ago that made me start thinking about this and reading through it. And so we're going to go to Amos chapter 5 tonight. And we're going to look at something. That was my grandfather's name, Amos. He just passed away a few weeks ago. He was 94, is that right, Linda? 95, 94, something like that. Hey, we're going to go to Amos, and we're going to walk down through some things here because I, so, so I mentioned Sunday and I'm going to mention again in a, in a different way uh, some of this a little bit this next weekend. The, um, I, I think, <clears throat> I think as Christians, we have this, um, I think we have this uh, tension that is always going to be there. Now, here's something that I think is just crazy weird about um, uh, Christianity in America as opposed to the rest of the world. We, <clears throat> we have had it so good for so long that we don't realize some of the things that we figure out or try to discuss or debate or some things like that um, over the years. So this, so this is 30-plus years of ministry for me. I've heard some of the craziest things that people in churches get upset about. It's so weird stuff. Um, I mean, we always say things like the color of the carpet and stuff like that. We just need new carpet here. It is so bad. Um, just new carpet would be nice. It <clears throat> was it the other day. Somebody asked me, have you picked out the colors for the new building yet? Are, are, do you do that? Is that? Does somebody do that? I don't know who does that. <laughs> we did talk for about 30 minutes about the ceilings because that's actually an important thing when it comes to the, how the building... Because we're doing a lot of different things in here, going out into the foyer and into, here, into the thing, and lights and stuff and how that works. And hopefully our lights in the new building won't be doing whatever these are doing right now. But I feel like I'm John Travolta. But, um, <clears throat> but you know, things like that. Those are the kind of the go-tos. People talk about that stuff. But it's interesting to me the stuff that, that American church people um, uh, d- discuss and debate and even get into arguments and stuff about. It's, it's always been interesting to me. It's kind of funny sometimes, sometimes not so funny. Um, but but it's, it's strange stuff. And here's the reason. Because this is the example I, I've used in many ways over the years. I, I can do this visually. How many of you guys let me do this illustrated kind of way? Because you know that means I'm going to use some of you, right? Okay, who wants to volunteer? Okay. She's saying you. No? Okay. Nobody, nobody wants illustration? Okay, come on. Whoever raised your hands, come up here. <clears throat> you too, Robert. You, you said something. Shelby, you suggested I go to Amos 5. Come on up here. I need, I need somebody else. I need an outgoing, gregarious... Mark, come on up here. I'm
1: gregarious.
0: <laughs> I want to be gregarious. <laughs> I never get to be gregarious. Okay, so uh, you guys, right over here, make a circle. Uh, you, all of you, I mean, not just you three. That's a triangle. <laughs> my bad. Um, okay, you guys make a circle. All right, and you just face each other. Now, this, this has always been my argument. This is what the church looks like. Um, we're all in a circle. And we're facing each other. <laughs> Shall we vote? Um, <laughs> the the church looks like this, except God never intended the church to look like this. Here's what happens: is right now everybody's looking at you. Oh, I'm not curious, you know, those kind of things. But uh, if you have everybody stand here long enough, and I don't mean like ten minutes. I'm saying um, a couple months, kind of thinking a year, stuff like that. All of a sudden. They, they began to notice all of the things about each other that are wrong. Because all they've been doing is staring at each other, focusing on each other. And we have built church this way. We've built church with this kind of concept, that we all sit around and stare each, at each other. The, um, there, there was a song by um, a guy, I'll think of his name here in a second, but uh, he, he had a song years ago, like 30 years ago or more, that uh, he talked about that he wants to, to. and this was a quote from an old saint um, he said, I want to build a, a church a yard from the gates of hell. Because that, that, keeps, that keeps a certain kind of mentality in a focus. Okay? But staring at each other, eventually no matter how good of friends or family or whatever, eventually these people will stop liking each other. And they will begin to find fault and pick and all these other things. Because why? They put themselves in a paradigm that's not the way God designed it. He never intended us to be focused on each other. He, God, God talks about, you know, I always pick on judging and things like that. God talks about that we're supposed to assess each other, uh, that we're supposed to judge the, the spirits, the gifts. Obviously, we're supposed to do that. But we're supposed to do it from a total different context than the way the church lives today. So now you guys just turn around, face outward. This is how the church is supposed to look. Some basic things that happen when you do this. One is, it's much more difficult to Satan, for Satan to attack each individual because they're protecting each other's back. And the armor of God is a front armor, it's not a back armor. There's no back armor on the armor of God. So now all of a sudden the weak area of where they are uh, individually is being protected by each other. But their focus is not each other. Their focus is out here where everything else is happening, where the people are, where, where life is going on. And their empowerment is to be stepping forward into battle and to be thinking like that. It's not to be looking inward. And we always, the church has always done this backwards for so long. You guys can sit. Thank you. Why'd you clap? They did almost nothing there. I did all of the heavy pulling on that. Thank you. So so, so here's the thing with this, guys. We, we, really, we really struggle oftentimes as the church, not because we're bad people, but because we put ourselves in bad situations that are not the biblical way we're supposed to be doing things. Okay? You, you hear me pick on this. I picked on this last week. I pick on this all the time. Is this mentality we have of discipleship, that we? it's all about let's get in the classes and do the classes and do the classes and do the classes, but when do we actually engage? I, I've, I've talked about this a lot with... Um, with witnessing having to do with, with farming. Um, when a farmer plants corn, when does he make money? When he harvests the corn. Not when he picks weeds and waters the ground. That's, that's necessary, it's important, but you don't, you don't make money by picking weeds, you don't make money by watering the ground, you don't make money by all the stuff that we do, you don't even make money by cutting the corn down and getting it in the trucks and everything. You make money when you harvest that complete finished product, and you sell that complete product. That's when you make money. And in the church world, for years, we've been celebrating cutting weeds and watering. We celebrate that as a job well done. Okay, that, that's, that's not a job well done yet. It's part of the process. It is. Paul talks about this. One person plants another waters. I get that. But at some particular point, if you don't harvest, which according to Scripture is soul's, it's not you getting rich or any of the goofy stuff that people use that terminology nowadays. It's when souls get saved, that's the harvest. The fields are wide under harvest. That's souls. Okay, when souls get saved, heaven rejoices. Heaven does not rejoice just because we have church services. Heaven, heaven doesn't rejoice because we have another Bible study. Heaven doesn't rejoice because we, we have an epiphany. Heaven rejoices when a soul gets saved. Now all those other things should be leading up to an and, um, and, and developing that uh, soul getting saved. It's all part of it. But what happens is we just get in a holding pattern and all the church stuff that we do, and we never actually get to a place where a person is getting saved. And, unless somehow they wander into the church and get saved. They're not getting saved by, by our testimony. They're not getting saved by our life. They're not getting saved. Because why? We're, we're busy pulling a weed, and we pull that same weed a thousand times we just sit there waiting for it to grow again and pull it when do we when do we just say you know what we got to do some harvesting okay there <clears throat> there is a lot of things that are going crazy right now in our in our church world how we look at things i've been addressing these obviously over the quite a, the last few weeks and and we're starting to see even now there's there's so much more stuff you know i'll give you a, a book to read if you're interested this one was very interesting to me and, and i'll tell you the main reason Uh, Mark uh, uh, suggested that I read this book, and I did. It just came out like a month ago. It was being written all starting, like it's been written over the last six months or so, and he he just released it, I think only on uh, uh, digital right now, but it's called The Deep Rig. And one of the things that I noticed in there, Mark, you may not have seen this the same way I did, but uh, all the stuff that we're seeing with election, all this—it's all about election fraud and that kind of thing. And and I see this moment where it, it became clear to me that some of the conversations that this man had been having with um, President Trump and with uh, Mike Flynn, Sidney um, uh, Pollard—what is her name? Powell. Powell. Not yeah. And um, and then um, Giuliani. All these people, I could see through the, what he was writing. The same thing when we see in Daniel where the king is being deceived by his advisors. And this guy explains it in detail. It's not like he thinks it's, he, gives, he, he gives all kinds of proofing and videos and press conferences, all kinds of stuff. And I thought to myself, that's, that's the key that's going on in our country right now, is our country's being deceived. Uh, and, and, and has been all the way up to the highest levels of our government in every situation and setting. And so at some point, there has to be a break. There are two things. One, we just spiral down this cesspool, or, or there's a break, and, and there's a breakthrough, and we all get it. And we begin to repent. I don't think we begin to change the politics of the nation. I think that is secondary, or, or third or fourth down the line. I mean, second. But we begin to repent. And if we begin to repent, our country changes. Yes. But we've got to repent across the nation. And I'm talking churches across the nation, church leadership. Our church leadership is more responsible for where we are right now as a country than any of the politicians. Our church leadership has been leading us horribly and down wrong roads. When you can have masses of pastors that come out in favor of abortion, evangelical pastors in favor of abortion, as we, we, lost, we lost that fear of the Lord long before that statement or that open letter was written. We lost the fear of God way before that. That You know, the mentality of the, t- of the uh, temple. As long as this lamp has got oil in it and the wick is trimmed and it is burning, my presence will be with you. And, and I, I heard a sermon when I was a kid that stuck with me on this. That this guy was talking about how important that lamp was because it had to be burning. And the moment that flame went out, God would leave. And as and I, I thought about it. as I became an adult, I realized that he had missed it. He had missed the point. The point was not the flicker of that flame. The point was all of the heart and the attitude and the people and the priesthood and, and the leadership and everything that made sure keeping that flame lit was a priority. It was the passion behind it. It wasn't the perfunctory of keeping the lamp lit. We we've been working so long in the church as of late, making sure that some kind of lamp semblance is lit verbally, but there has not been the passion behind our Almighty God wants us. He wants our heart and our mind and our soul. And he wants us to say no to sin and he wants us to walk away from this stuff. And he wants us to rebuke the mentality of sin. We we, we we got, as a church, we've got to stand up against sin. Not from, a, not from a legalistic point of view that this person is breaking the rules. No. It's because Satan is manipulating humanity and destroying humanity with sin. And we've got to shout this out to the people. Because they don't know it and they can't see it. Nobody's told them. We've got to tell them. My, my oldest son is here with me. Um. Uh, this week, and my daughter-in-law, and my two grandchildren. My two grandchildren are here, so that my son and and my daughter-in-law could have dinner. <laughs> uh, before I'd be like, "Do you really need that?" And these last three days, I I've got to take a nap like every two hours. I I don't I can't keep up. But uh, I mean, I, I'm like drifting off, and I hear Papa. Uh huh. You know, but <clears throat> but uh, they they they. He and I have been discussing this from from his generation until he's 26, about to be 27. And uh, and we've been discussing this from his generation. I said, you know, your generation has been so um, manipulated and so um, your thinking process has changed so much just since my generation that some of the things that we would talk about that you and I would be verbalizing some of the same things, we're not thinking the same thing. That, that, that stuff like homosexuality, Scripture says it's an abomination. That, that it desecrates our humanity and our soul. It's more than just a heterosexual affair. It is not considered the same in Scripture. And, th- and that's difficult sometimes to process that and to really think in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the culture nowadays. The average teenager in high school... If you begin to have this conversation, they think there's something wrong with you. You really think that homosexuality is that bad? Yes. It, it, it destroys and it locks up their soul. And you got to go through layers. I preached about this a few months ago. you got to go through layers to get to it. But we're scared to death to say that to somebody because we're worried if they're going to be upset at us instead of worried about their soul. Now let's go to Amos because this is, man, there's so much in here. And if, you, and if any of this irritates you, please, I would strongly urge you, please talk to Shelby after service about this. Yeah. <laughs> listen, you people of Israel, listen to this funeral song I am singing. That, that's got to at least pick your ears up, right? What, what do you mean? Why are you singing a funeral song? He's going to explain it. The virgin Israel has fallen. I, I'll give you a little uh, Bible study thing if you ever just want to trace this. This would be you. You would spend um, more time than you could possibly imagine just tracing this thought process through Scripture. Okay, the idea of us as the church starts with the people of Israel. We get adopted into this thing. So then the church gets added to it, not replaced. You understand? That's an important theological thing, right? We do not believe in something called replacement theology. We don't replace the Israelites. We get adopted. I've had people ask me before, well, I don't want to be second class. I don't want to be adopted. Okay, don't. I'm totally okay with it. You want to adopt me into the king's family? I am totally fine with that, Miss Merkel. I would love to be adopted into the king's family. Anybody see that interview? Disgusting. Okay. Merkel, Merkel. Was that her name? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's enough said. So... <clears throat> So this, this virgin Israel, this, this um, us as the, um, adopted in, but us as the bride. And then this idea, the, the, uh, the, the theology of us being the bride for the groom, rather than just like salvation, a ticket to get to heaven, but we're the bride. And we get engaged to Jesus because of the cross. The cross is the engagement, um, asking Uh, for us and then we are engaged on this earth until we step into eternity and we're married to the groom we need to think like the bride we need to act like the bride so trace that through scripture trace this idea of the this concept the virgin of uh, israel the virgin israel or the 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 purity or the holiness of uh, the people of god then getting passed also to the the purity and the holiness of the, the the church and then the idea of us prostituting ourselves, that's part of the same conversation through Scripture. That is so prevalent in Scripture, so strong throughout Scripture, that we as God's people prostitute ourselves to something else. Because why does he use that terminology instead of saying, you sin? Why does he, why does he say you prostitute yourself? We're, we're, we're surrendering ourselves. It's, a, it's an act of an allegiance and a consummation to something else. It's not just, well, I sinned, and so I need God to forgive me, and so I go from uh, sinner to saved. Oh, I sinned, so I go back to sinner, and then I go back to saved. Okay, well, any married couple can, can process this for about three seconds. How would you feel if your spouse, oh, oops, I prostituted myself to somebody else. Oh, well, okay, you brought me back. You know the whole book of Hosea? Oh, I prost- Oops, I prostituted myself. What, what married couples be like, you know what, you d- just come on back. You just, you just, we'll just make it right again. And, and we expect Jesus to think like that about us. We can give our heart, our soul, our body, our everything to something else. And then we just, we just come back. Now, now let me make sure we're, we don't misunderstand this. Jesus will immediately forgive you. Okay? He will immediately let you come back and forgive you. But, it, but at what point do we begin to fall in love with Jesus enough that that's egregious to us? Not just egregious to him, but egregious to us. When, when is our relationship with the Lord the most important thing the the most important thing so so my my older two are here, son daughter-in-law my younger two, son and daughter-in-law live here and then my daughter, she's in school in Texas and I feel like I know I've mentioned this before but I feel like as I get older I feel like Job more all the time now my my kids are serving God but I feel like uh, Job all the time where I am I am um, sacrificing I'm going to Change the terminology. I'm constantly praying and petitioning before God for my children. I, I, I feel like that more and more and more. And in the way it says in Job, just in case, you know, just in case they did something they shouldn't have done. Just in case. Now, and after and after the cross, it doesn't work the same. It has to be more of a prayer and to move their hearts and minds so that they would do whatever. Now, this this is the thing: is they're not they're not bad kids. My my oldest son's a children's pastor. They serve God. We, I mean, we've, the whole time they've been here, we've been discussing the Bible. We've been discussing all this stuff. It, it's exciting. It's fun, all that kind of stuff. But there's something in my spirit, in my heart that says, but I want them to know Jesus more. And I don't know how to verbalize that. I've even verbalized it to them, but I don't want them to think somehow I don't think they're serving Jesus. But I want them to serve them better. I don't know how to verbalize that sometimes. I mean, I don't really struggle with verbalizing stuff, but, but, I, but I want them to serve him more. As I pray the same thing for all of us on a regular basis. I want you to serve him more. I want it to be deeper. I want it to be more intimate. I want it to be more personal and more power-filled. I want you to, to reach out for him in ways that you've never reached out before, and you may not even know yet, but he'll show you. He'll show you as you begin to reach out. I want you to spend more quality time with him, deeper. Why? Because I believe in a spiritual sense, you can go back to, and you cannot do this in a physical sense, okay? But you, you can go back to being that virgin church. You can. Because why? His blood makes you perfect. Without blemish. But we gotta, We've got to be intentional about that. That doesn't just happen. We've got to be intentional about that. The virgin Israel has fallen, never to rise again. She lies abandoned on the ground with no one to help her up. The sovereign Lord says, When a city sends a thousand men to battle, only a hundred will return. When a town sends a hundred, only ten will come back alive. What is he talking about? What's he talking about here? They
1: don't have the Lord's protection. They're.
0: They're losing battles because why? They're no longer a virgin. They've fallen. They've chosen someone else. When you choose someone else, God will let you have that. Not just a someone. Someone's not the right necessarily way, but it can be. I've seen before where where we choose people over God, right? Um, We choose uh, some kind of safety over God. You can choose a lot of things over God. But once you do that, you're no longer that virgin. You're, 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 you're selling yourself to somebody else. Something else. Some other concept. Guys, that's pretty heavy language he's using here. And guess what happens when you start doing that? You lose battles. You lose battles in a personal sense. You lose battles in your, in your life, in your family. You lose battles all the way around. We, we can't, we can't play games like we have been doing as a country and think that there's no, um, there's no accountability to it. Right? We can just take one thing. I always, you know, this is always the first one I pick on, but I'm just the abortion issue. When does God say, you've killed enough of my babies? I'm done. You've killed enough of them. I'm just going to stand up for them. Right? When does, when does when does that happen? Which, by the way, I think we're in the process of it happening. I think for the last 10, 15 years, we've been walking that direction. Well, 20 years, we've been walking that direction. And God is saying, you keep playing games. And I'm going to hold you accountable for this. All right, I beat that drum a lot. So, verse 4. Now, this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. Don't worship at pagan altars. Don't worship at the pagan altars at Bethel. Don't go to the shrines at Gilgal or Beersheba. For the people of Gilgal will be dragged off into exile, and the people of Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Come back to the Lord and live. These people were worshiping other gods. These people people were giving their hearts and their minds over to other things, over to other ideologies, spiritualities, all kinds of stuff. And he says, just come back to me. This is the amazingness of we see. Even in judgment, this is a very strong um, uh, chapter on judgment. But even this, it's always about repent, right? Nineveh, Jonah, go tell Nineveh there. I'm going to destroy them. And then Nineveh, and then he goes, and Nineveh repents, and he's like, "That that's not what you said, God. I didn't know they were going to repent. I assumed if I told them, they'd get all mad and." like force me out of the city and I'd get back on another boat. And then they all repent, messes his world up. I'll give you something I've been processing a lot lately. I I said this like three or four weeks ago, that um, what is God's will and desire for um, President Biden and President uh, Harris? To get saved. That's his desire, to get saved. Now, many of our desire is for them to go to jail but God's desire, and that's why I've been praying, God, you can do both. you're a big god. <laughs> Your arms are so wide. Um, but guys, at the end of the day, God is much more concerned with their soul this is, This is what would happen if this if this actually happened in our country right now where and i can't see, I cannot imagine that this would ever happen, but i but we see it all through Scripture, so we know it's a possibility. That if our entire government, our senators and our congressmen, somehow, maybe uh, uh, somebody came to, the, to the, um, the State of the Union address and prayed before it started, and the whole parts of them. You know how many Christians and churches across the country wouldn't accept it? They just would not go there. We, it would be exactly what they prayed for supposedly, right? It's the same concept as Peter. Peter's in prison. They had a prayer meeting in the house to get Peter out of prison. Peter gets out of prison supernaturally, knocks on the door. The servant opens the door, sees Peter and closes it and goes back and tells everybody, I think that's Peter at the door. And they're like, no, Peter's in prison. We're praying for him to get out. He's not out. Pretty sure that's Peter. No. That's that's how the church would act today. Guys, we, we really need God just to sovereignly move across our country. Yeah. And I've been praying that so much lately. I don't even know for sure how to pray it. I've been, I've been asking God to show me. Joy said this at a uh, prayer meeting the other night, and it really has been in my head since then. God, teach me how to pray. Um, teach me how to pray about that. Teach me specifically how to pray about this. I've said this to so many people in different counseling sessions over the years. God will help you pray about this particular subject if you ask him. And then I hadn't been doing that, and it clicked in my head. Why don't I do that same thing for this? Because my frustration keeps rising and rising every time something else happens. My frustration goes through the roof, and I have to come back to, okay, but God wants me to get on my face before him about this first. Then I can do all the stuff. Then I can be an activist and do all the stuff. But i got to pray first. He says, come back to me and live. Um, otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire, devouring you completely. This is the part where much of the church would struggle with this. Um, much of our country would struggle with this. The idea that the Lord would roar through our country like a fire. We struggle with that. Well, that's not who God is. I've discussed this with pastors over the years. Well, doesn't God do stuff like this now? No, he doesn't do this stuff. That's not who God is. Um, it would would God cause like a hurricane or something? No, that's not who God is. Except that the Scripture says He does. It, it specifically says that. I said, no, that's not who God is. Would He roar through our country like a fire, devouring us? No, that's not who God is. Why do we think that's not who God is? I'll ask you. What did you say? we don't that's the first that's the first step we don't want that which means it's based upon what first it's based upon me lack of uh let's let's use something than faith faith is the right term as we progress but i think it starts more with lack of true fear of the lord not not scared of the lord although that's part of it i don't ever want to take that out that's part of that word i don't like it when pastors say well fear just means Uh, respect no it doesn't it also means it's scaredness okay so without a true fear of God where we recognize that this is his planet it's not my planet if he wants to roar through our country with fire he's God and he can do that it's not my planet I don't get to choose it so it starts with what I want first and well I don't want him to do that and so I begin to create god in my image that says he's not going to do this why because i don't want him to is he going to hold me accountable no because i don't want him to but here's the scary part about that 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 doesn't change the fact of who god is you can create whatever god you want in your mind you can create him in a church context. You can create him in a denominational sense or whatever. You can create God however you want to create him. You can write books. You can come out with studies. You can do all this stuff. But that does not change who he is. He is a sovereign God and he's in charge. And we don't get to be in charge. There's, I, I know I've said this some, but I just, there's this, this great song that I've just been rolling through my head. In fact, I looked it up. It's like I, I realized I looked it up. It's from Audio Adrenaline, um, and the song is I'm Not the King. Um, if you guys don't like rock, you're not going to like it. But um, he says, I'm not the king, I just sing. Yeah. But, but, but the thing is, I looked that up. I didn't realize it was like the album is literally like 25 or 26 years old. I thought it was like a few years ago. But uh, I, I love that song, I'm not the king, I just sing. And part of the reason they wrote that song was because when John Lennon said, um, uh, the Beatles are, are bigger than Jesus. And I've had people m- many times over the years say, oh, the Beatles never said it. John Lennon never said that. I can show you the video. He did say it. He said, we're bigger than the Be- uh, Jesus. And they had audio adrenaline. They were, they were one of the biggest uh, bands of the time. And uh, they had people come up to them saying, um, you guys are like the kings of rock. And he wrote the song. I'm not the king. I just sing. How small is that in comparison to the king? I just sing. I've thought that many times over the years. I'm not the king. I just preach. I'm not the king. I'm just eye candy. I don't. <laughs> Why do you guys laugh at that stuff? You, sh- you guys should be going, oh, that blesses me. So, Roy, did you have something? Yeah, I think I just had this conversation t- today's Wednesday, yesterday, um, with a missionary to uh, the Israelite people, and he and I were talking about this, and he said one of the things that he's really having to try to address and process with with Jewish thinking, the Jewish thinking, is the the concept of the love of God, because I'm I'm with you there 100 percent. Roy, I believe that the church has embraced a concept of Uh, God is love. But but I'd like to take that one more step. I think we have even changed the definition of love. So that when we say God is love, that's a true statement. God is love. But God's love is just. God's love is perfect. God's love is holy. God's love, and this is always the, the term that I use, God's love is transcendent. God's love is bigger than the limitedness of humanity right now. And this is why it's important for us as the church to learn to love transcendently. Love past humanity and love them to Jesus. Not love humanity with the concept of loving them in today's society where I feel good or they get a return or I love them in a a feeling that means I don't actually address anything or talk to them about anything or even care. I think the biggest thing is care. I don't care about their sin. I don't care about their brokenness. They can, they can go to hell with this. It doesn't matter to me. I'm on my way to heaven. And so uh, we, we were talking about this because Ben Shapiro, who I, who I greatly like and respect, Ben Shapiro is Jewish. He's not Christian. Okay? And he has said, you can look this up. I'm not making this up. Ben Shapiro said, as long as I know that I am going to heaven, um, it does not matter about anybody else. That's not my responsibility. This is Jewish thinking. Okay. He's not a bad, he's not a bad Jew. He's a, he's a good Jew. He's, he's one of the best I've seen really in a long time. But a Jewish mentality is as long as I have a relationship with God and I'm not even relationship, it's an an obedience to God. I'm going to go to heaven then it doesn't matter about anybody else. I don't care. And I've heard him say this a handful of times. I don't care about what anybody else thinks or believes. I am taking care of who I am and who my family is. That's my responsibility to God. My responsibility is not to anybody else. Okay? But then Jesus comes along and says, No. Love your God with everything about you, but this one is just as important. It's an equality. Love your neighbor as yourself and he changes the game so what does that mean loving your neighbor as yourself it doesn't mean no matter what they're doing it's okay because we just all want to get along loving your neighbor as yourself means that you are responsible to tell them truth because they're dying without it they're going to hell without it and they need the truth they don't just need good positive messages they need the truth I've got a uh, a doctoral student that um, I'm advising right now. And, um, and they pastored a church for 40 years, probably. Um, and now they've retired from their church, and um, they're, they're looking around at other churches. I live in Denver, and they're looking around at other churches. And, um, and uh, she was telling me, she said, I'm really struggling with this. She said, I didn't know the state of the church. She said, I didn't know what was going on. She said, I go to church and it's just 20, 30 little minute message that's just, we need to all feel good and and, uh, God loves you and hey, let's just all get along. She said, it's just almost the same thing church after church. Maybe some leadership qualities, maybe some good life coaching stuff. But she said, "Nobody, nobody is just preaching. Jesus died on the cross because we're sinners. Not because we're already good, but because we're sinners. And you need an almighty God to save your brokenness and bring you out of the brokenness. It's the blood of Jesus, not po- the power of positive thinking. And, and she, she talked to me for this for a while, and I told her, I said, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to do with this. I said, I hear this all the time, but I don't go to other churches. And I don't go online to other churches except for just a few that I already know and trust. Because why? I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be disappointed. I already stay frustrated so much. I'd be, I'd be scared to death. I'm not, I'm not kidding about this. I'd be scared to death that I would say something on their Facebook page. Because I couldn't handle it. My son, my son told me this today. He said, Dad, he said I don't know why, but sometimes I just say things when I shouldn't. I'm like, you, you got that from your mother. Well, I guess I got it from both those. And I told him, I said, you know, my biggest deal, I, said, I, I told him, I said, you know, remember when I went, when I was getting my master's, this was almost 20 years ago, I was getting my master's, I was going to Denver Seminary, which I loved. I enjoyed it. But before I'd go to class, I, I'm not kidding about this, and this wasn't like a joking thing between us, Linda would say, okay, Scott, you're going to class today. Promise me, you're just going to be quiet and listen just write notes and just listen. You don't have to say anything. And I'm like, you're right. I don't. I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to listen. I've told you guys this before. I took a class, um, uh, the book of Acts and the apostles, the very first class within 30 minutes of starting class, he introduced himself and he said, and this class is going to be about this and this and this. And he said, and I'm going to talk to you about things like speaking in tongues, and I'll show you that it's just gibberish and man-created, and it has no bearing or whatsoever in our life. It's not even real. It's false. And I'm going to explain that to you. Like, 30, 30 minutes. I, I couldn't help it. Am I just supposed to sit there? Right. It was master's level class, so. Right. Um, yeah, I felt like, you know, okay, so, so here's the thing with this, is I, as I do think, guys, there has to come a moment when we just surrender our thinking, our self, our attitude, our, our way of processing God, scripture, everything, we have to surrender all that and say, God, you are the sovereign God, and I am not, and I, and I stop trying to be. I trying to argue with you, God. We don't get to define, coming back to what Roy said, we don't get to define love. God defined it. And if we truly love people, we'll love their souls and we will love their eternal direction. If we don't care about their eternal direction, you do not really care about that person. You have some kind of humanistic, shallow love that needs some kind of return for you or some kind of feeling or something. It's not truly about that individual. It's, a, it's about something else. But if we care for their soul, it'll guide the things that we do for them. It'll guide the, the next steps if we care about their soul. Okay. Otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire, devouring you completely. Your gods in Bethel won't be able to quench the flames. That, that's, a, that's a good sentence for us right now. Your gods, America, will not be able to stop God. Your thinking will not be able to stop God. What you think you're getting away with and being successful, I'm talking a little bit about that Sunday, kind of from a side, but it will not be able to to stop God. Because why? He's God. We, We as human beings do not get to be bigger than Him. No matter how much we think we are, we do not get to be bigger than Him. You twist justice, making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. That's... How powerful is that sentence? How wise is the way he verbalized that sentence? You twist justice, making it a bitter, bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. He has such a, a powerfully woven sentence, and then the next one is just like, you treat the righteous like dirt. It's not that great, but it, we get the point. So, Verse 8, it is the Lord who creates the stars. In other words, when he says it's the Lord that, that creates the stars, what is he, what is he saying um, About who doesn't create the stars? Us. The Lord creates the stars. You don't. You're not that big. Stop acting like you're that big. You're not. The Pleiades and Orion. He turns darkness into morning and day into night. He draws up water from the oceans. Some of the same feel we read over in the the book of Job. Some of the same stuff, right? Total different writer. And he's seeing it. He's getting it. It's it's revelatory. He draws up water from the oceans and pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is. Do you realize that's a scientific thing that people didn't understand until much, 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 much later, a few thousand years later, a couple thousand years later, and we we began to understand condensation, evaporation. And it says it right there. That's why when people say the Bible doesn't is, is, is a anti-science or doesn't... An the, the, the fact I've had people say the Bible teaches the earth is flat. It does not teach that the earth is flat. It teaches that the earth is round. And that was the first motivation for the scientists that began to say a long time ago, the earth is round. And they were rejected by the government and sometimes by the church. And these were Christian leaders that said, I think the earth is round. Oh, you idiot. With blinding speed and power, he destroys the strong, crushing all their defenses. How you hate honest judges. Does that describe our country right now? Yeah. You hate honest judges. I, I've been watching a bunch of stuff by uh, Clarence Thomas lately. That, that man's one of my heroes. He's amazing, amazing guy. He's like right up in there uh, by Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell, hands down, is... is um, him and Rush Limbaugh were my two favorite people. Rush Limbaugh obviously just passed away. Um, Thomas Sowell is, is 90-ish. And, uh, and he's written five books since he was 80. And these are not small books. These are not, um, you know, your childhood reader. These guys are These guys are giants. And, and, and specifically with Thomas Sowell and Clarence Thomas, they're both black guys that have been pushed to the side by the black community. Because why? They are truth-tellers and they're conservatives and they're powerful thinkers and they attack the status quo and they attack the mind-numbness of an entire group of people that are given in. And they are giants. They, they should have been revered for the last 30 or 40 years. And we've pushed them aside. Both of them, Clarence Thomas, just a genius. Do you know Clarence Thomas has written twice as many um, responses than, than all the other justices? Okay. You hate honest judges. How you despise people who tell the truth? Trample the poor. Stealing their grain through taxes. An unfair rent. Taxes. What is the worst way to hurt a poor person in any society? Tax them. That's how you hurt them. Do away with taxes and the, the poor people can rise through the financial ranks. The ones that desire to. Tax them and you'll, you'll keep them poor. Forever. Therefore, you, though you build beautiful stone houses, you'll never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you'll never drink wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depth of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes. You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So those who are smart keep their mouth shut, for it is an evil time. Guys, this is is also where we are as a country. We are getting to the point where the good people are starting to keep their mouth shut. And we've got to stop doing that. I understand the reasoning behind it. I understand the reason. You know how, you know how much in my heart right now I don't want to ever vote again? Yeah, no. It is a waste of time. It's a, it's a joke. It's, it's going to get robbed again. We didn't stop it the first time. What makes us think we can stop it the second time? Now, I do believe we can stop it the second time. I think there's things in place, but I'm just ranting right now. <laughs> okay? But, but, but you guys understand what I'm saying. I, I, there's just a frustration that says this is a, this is a joke. Our co- whole country is so corrupt and our, our leaders are corrupt. And there's, it's all about money. It's all about the stuff. We're selling our souls to China for money. Which is so stupid because, okay, maybe you will be able to enjoy that, but your children will not which means they are so selfish that they're willing to sell out their children and their grandchildren to communism. That's scary. This is where we are right here. The smart people keep their mouths shut for it's an evil time. But we can't, guys. We've got to do the right thing. We've got to keep standing up. We've got to keep voting. But we also got to work. There are all kinds of groups. We went to a thing the other night that, that uh, Mark was um, emceeing over at... Um, Church of All Nations, that has to do with, um, um, most of it was about election, election fraud and stuff like that. And there are some powerful groups that are starting, uh, just, just from what we heard there, but all across our state and all across our country powerful groups that are standing up and saying we're not taking this anymore we are going to fight this in the courts we're going to fight this in the election process we're going to fight this we're not just going to roll over just because the higher-ups of our country the top tier decided they're not going to do anything from the vice president down just because they decided they're not going to do anything doesn't mean we can't we'll fight guys you should get involved in some of those things if if you have any questions about that mark will answer your questions at the end of service Okay, Mark, raise your hand. Make sure everybody knows who you are, Mark. Raise your hand. Okay. Um, He can can connect you with the right people that can help you. These are groups. Guys, these are groups that you can get involved with and do things. It's not just talking. It's doing. In fact, one of the people at the thing said, if all you do is talk, I'm not interested. It's when you you begin to to do stuff that I start paying attention. So let's do stuff. But what should we do before we do stuff? Pray, pray, pray. Pray. Even if the group you get involved with is not a um, an implicitly Christian group, pray for them. You get together and you begin to discuss. Can stop them and say, "Before we start, do you mind if I pray for us?" I guarantee you, they're not going to say, "Get out of here, freak." They're, they're going to say, "Okay." Now they may be going, but they'll they'll let you pray. And it's more important that you do that than worry about whether they're irritated. Pray for them, pray with them, pray after you're gone, all kinds of stuff. Okay? Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you've claimed. That that just-as-you-claim thing. Now, I know that immediately my brain goes to, because I was part of the the name-it-claim-it movement years ago, kind of the fringe of it, but not part of it. The first thing I think is, what he's saying here is you've got a lot of people that are claiming things, but God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, is not actually helping or involved. They're claiming all they want, but he's not actually doing anything. Because why? They haven't done this stuff before. You've got to run, do what's good, run from evil, then you will live, and then God will be in charge, just like you claim that he is. Just because we say God's in charge, just because we say he's, in, he's, he's, he's doing this in my life, just because we say Um, God is speaking to me. Just because It doesn't mean God's doing all that stuff. But if we submit to Him and surrender to Him, He will do all of that stuff and more with us all the time. I believe God wants to speak to all of us on a regular basis, constantly, more than you want Him to. I promise, more than you want Him to. Because it's not always going to be, okay, you're going to have a good day, little buddy. Sometimes God says, wow, you, you really are being a jerk right now. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Get your attitude straight. Straighten up, you know. Some of it may be uh, put on your big boy pants. Right? A lot of things. <clears throat> and let's see. Where, oh, yeah. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into the true halls of justice. You realize we can do that. We can do that. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. You do that before, by submitting before God first. Then we begin to address the courts and the judges and all this stuff. But we pray. We seek God. We, we educate ourselves about stuff. But we've got to put God first. We can turn our courts back into halls of justice. And they're not for the most part right now. They're just not. I, I mean, I'm very, I'm very disappointed with our Supreme Court even right now. And, uh, and Clarence Thomas came out a week and a half ago and talked about this. He said that he, he really is, thinks that the Supreme Court has done an injustice by not looking at this election stuff yes. more thoroughly. Yes. And, uh, and, and some of the people that, that have just been put on there that we thought were going to stand for the Constitution and stand for yes. justice and truth and stuff, they have caved. And I don't know why, because they didn't have a pattern of this. I believe that. I believe there's threats. I believe that there's blackmail. I believe that there's all kinds of stuff. But guys, why would you take a, a Kavanaugh uh, or, a, or even more important, a um, uh, Coney Barrett that was, has never had blemish, has stead strong, 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 all of a sudden just cave. Just cave. As there's, there's, there's wrongness. There's evil. There's darkness that is sown in the highest echelons of our country right now. Darkness. And our and our courts are not halls of justice anymore, and they need to be. Perhaps even yet, the Lord God of Heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of His people, and that's what I'm praying for. God, have mercy on us. If 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 God and I believe that I am, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be um, presumptuous. But God, if I am part of that remnant, please have mercy on us. Please have mercy on me. I, the reason I say that, I'm, I, wanna, I have to be careful with this because I don't want there to be too much condemnation written to this. And I'm saying that first for me. I work on this myself because of the condemnation thing, okay? I, I, I'll just explain that a little bit. I grew up in such hardcore legalism of, of uh, Pentecostalism in, in the South. Everything was a sin. It didn't matter what you did, it was a sin. Especially if you were having fun, you were sinning somehow. The moment it went from tiring, laborious, boring, whatever, into, hey, you're not sinner, you know, it was. So, and, and you, 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 you think I'm joking because of the way I, I'm saying it, but I'm not. Um, everything was a sin. You, you just couldn't do anything. And so, because of that, I have certain mindsets. I've been talking a little bit about this, about our building and some of this kind of stuff. Every time we turn around, God does something amazing and supernatural and miraculous with this building. Every time we turn around, it's not even—it's not even like little stuff. It's big stuff, and and we get favor where we want favor, and and even though I'm praying for that, God give us favor. The two big things I was talking about about the water and the um and um the 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 curbing and all that kind of stuff. I was praying, God, please give us favor that would save us so much money. And then um, uh, Dale and the architect come back to me and say, "Oh, that got approved. Really? Are you sure?" That got approved. That's going to save us like $250,000? Are you sure it got approved? I'm st- I struggle with this. I'm waiting for the other shoe to fall. That's not how you say that. Boot. The other boot to drop? Is it shoe, drop, shoe, boot? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, Guys, stay focused, okay? So I'm waiting for the other, to the other shoe to drop. But here's the thing. Why? Can God not just do stuff with us and me be okay with it? The answer is yes, he can do stuff, but I'm the one who's struggling with the okay with it. I'm like, okay, God, you're doing a way a lot of cool stuff right now. Slow that down because I know it's going to be a lot of bad stuff following. I mean, that's, that, that's the way I think sometimes. It's, it's my, it's my um, baggage. It's my filters. Linda said this to me just the other day. She said, you really need to do another message On filters, that is so important for us uh, to do, and and I I I will. But I've got so many, so much baggage, so many filters. It's hard for me sometimes to just say, "Wow, God, you're doing some really cool stuff." You're just really doing some cool stuff. So 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 I'm be careful with this. But I think there's some importance here that we need to go down the road. But also, don't let it be condemnation. I just I know that I know that I belong to the king. I know that. I get that. I'm not struggling with my Christianity. I'm not struggling with any of that. But I also have been praying this for so many years. God, I don't want to be arrogant and presumptuous and just assume that I am totally good and there's nothing wrong with me. That I have no sin. It's all the other people I'm preaching to that are the sinners. And while I do not disagree with that mentality... I also know that I'm a sinner. And so when I read things like um, that you'll have mercy on the remnant of his people, my first reaction is not, and I believe this is where the church better learn something powerful right here, is my first response is not, well, I'm the remnant and those other people need to figure it out. My first response always is, Lord, I want to be that remnant. And if I'm not, show me something. Show me why. Why? It revealed to me. You know, um, David prays after Bathsheba created me a clean heart. Don't let your Holy Spirit depart from me. Because yeah. we need that. We need to be repentant people all the time. Not because we're these horrible sinners, but because we are sinners. Do you define what that means in your, oh, I'm not a murderer. Okay, but we're sinners. We've got to always be on our face before a holy God. The fear of the Lord. And, and also, and this is the part that gets me, I think right now, the kindness of the Lord is what's leading me to repentance. God, every time I turn around, you're doing something good, and I don't deserve it. I, I, I'm going to say this, but I don't need counseling, okay? Please. I say these things, and I have people that come to me afterwards and try to work it out. I've already worked it out with the Lord, I know. But I still, this is still the way I think sometimes. The other night, I, was, I, I have prayed this three or four times, and, and you guys know I got a new Jeep. This is a spiritual moment, Linda. Please don't mar it with that memory. So so right, right after God had, I was praying, and it just overwhelmed me. God, thank you for my Jeep. I don't know why you've given me this. I don't deserve it. In my head, I I deserved my old Jeep. (laughs) I built it. I deserved it. But this idea, sometimes I do this every now and Josh and I were talking about this the other day. He said, sometimes, you know, they bought their new house and they moved into it. He said, sometimes I, he said, I'm just sitting in my living room and I think to myself, wow, God is so good. He blesses me so much. I don't deserve this. I get that. And I tell him, you don't Josh, (laughs) but I'm serious because I'm not picking on him. You don't deserve this, Josh. God blesses you. That's you don't deserve anything. Scripture says that life is just a vapor; it's here today and gone tomorrow. Guys, we don't deserve anything. The only thing that that we should look on is Jesus. You died on the cross. Anything after that is icing on the cake. Anything after that, but that's not the way we think. So when we come across this, this remnant, God, I, I think I'm the remnant. I believe I'm the remnant. I have faith in that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not questioning my salvation. But I do question my arrogance, and I question my humility, and I question my, my attitude. I question my rebellious nature. I know me. And I think you guys are way worse than me. So... Linda's going to say this later, so let me say it now. Guys, I didn't mean that. She'll say, you know they don't know you're joking sometimes. Bless his heart. heart. (laughs) You guys got to be from the South to really understand that one. Bless his heart. That means, ah, we think you're an idiot. So this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. There will be crying in all the public squares and mourning in every street, and that's where I feel like I am right now. Some of the stuff, some days, I get up and I'm like, God, we, we, we're so broken. We're so broken as a society that we are telling people that are destroying their lives that they're doing the right thing. We're telling people that are killing themselves that they're doing the right thing. We are telling people That are that are that are trying as hard as they can to go down into the to the to the cesspool. That this is the best option for them. Society's telling them that, and then the church is tagging right along and embracing it. And and I and I feel like there was a guy. I can't think. I think this was in Scotland, but but he had been praying all night, and he busts out of his house and he runs down the street. Singing, uh, uh, yelling out, "God, give me, give me uh, Scotland, or give me death." I think it was Scotland. But but I think about that. God, give us salvation, or or give us just just eradicate us, save our country, or, or just take us. Because we're 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 dying, we're dying more every day. Save our souls. Okay, I feel like I'm getting too caught up in this. Call for the farmers to weep with you and summon professional mourners to wail. There will be wailing in every vineyard, for I will destroy them all, says the Lord. Now the next section, we're going to stop here. The next section is the judgment. The next section is all the stuff that the Lord will do if we don't get this right. Um, I I would like you to read it. You may not want to read it before you go to bed tonight. Um, you might not enjoy the, the night. But uh, sometimes, sometime over the next couple of days, read this again. But I would say read the whole entire fifth chapter again. Uh, read it as it flows together into this. G- to come to me and you will live, or this is what the judgment is. This is what happens. And it's uh, pretty severe stuff, right? Guys, I do believe our country is savable. I really do. The same way with any person. I've had people come to me over the years, well, I don't think so-and-so, and so You know, i have been praying for them for years, I, mean, witness, I don't think they're going to get saved. Well, they may not, but they are savable. You're savable. I'm savable. we got to be that way. we got to think that way. Even with the people we just detest, but they are savable because they are also created in the image of God. They, they are very important to God. My son said this to me today. His pastor was talking to him about this. And, um, and uh, he said, said, his pastor told him, he said, if somebody came in and started picking on your daughter, would you like that? He said, no, I would be very angry. He said, be careful and don't ever pick on God's kids because he gets upset too. You don't get to choose which ones. God gets upset when you pick on his kids. Even the bad ones right? You can, you can be the bad kid, and mom still likes you, most of you, right? Yeah, I, I heard a guy say one time, he was a grandfather, he said, it's a bad place to be when as a grandfather you don't like your grandkids. <laughs> I was like, tell me more. All right, so how are we going to pray? What's God putting on your heart with this? So you read this a few weeks ago. What God put on your heart? How are you going well, to pray? So. Yeah, it gets worse. Right? All together. You know, it might even be more difficult, but probably um, more pure if we pray, God, just save Biden and then just bless him a whole lot. Yes. You're like, God, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> guys, really justice. We, God, we don't get to choose justice. God chooses it. And he decides what that is. And here's a, here's a good thing for you, for me. I'm so glad that he gave me grace along with justice. Because if I just got justice, it would be horrible. Eloise, we're going to pray. Do you want to pray with us? Okay, just come here then. <laughs> uh, we're going to pray. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get to see her very often. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you for you. We thank you for how big you are, the things that you do. God, we thank you for your amazingness, your grace, your love for us, your mercy. Lord, we thank you because you do not, you do not hold all of our sins against us. That, you've, that you sent Jesus to forgive us so that you could just hold us. And Lord, we thank you Lord, we just want you to hold us. And we pray that for our our country too, not just for us as individuals. God, don't hold our sins against us. Forgive us and then just hold us. Lord, we embrace you. We embrace your love, but we embrace your, your true love, not what we've created. We embrace your word. We embrace your righteousness, your justice. We embrace your holiness. And God, we want those things in our life. We want you to, to, to breathe on us with the Holy Spirit. And you said that the Holy Spirit comes to reveal our sin to us and bring truth. And so, Lord, we, we pray that. God, we pray for our, our, our courts. We pray for our Supreme Court. We want, we want truth and justice in our courts. God, we want truth and justice in our household. Lord, help us not to live two lives. God, help us to be in the the very solitude of of privacy, Lord. Help us to be your child just as much as we are out in the the, the public. Lord, we're people of your word and people of integrity all the time. That we submit and surrender to you at all times. Lord, I pray for everyone here the same thing I pray for my, my kids. Lord, I want everybody here to grow closer to you. Lord, I want everybody in this room to know you deeper than they've ever known you before. God, we pray just that your Holy Spirit will move in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives and in our prayer times and our families. God, we just pray that you do big things with us. Not not what we think is big stuff, but God, what you say, what you want to do. God, we pray that we'll be that remnant. In our country right now, we will be that remnant. And we thank you for the ability, just the opportunity that we have to be adopted into this thing. We are humbled by that. And that's more than we could ever ask for. And we thank you, Jesus. Because you're amazing. You're the everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Yes. And that doesn't ever go away. Guys, that's an Old Testament thought process, but the New Testament is that too. There has to be, there has to be a, a payment. There has to be a payment. And that's why it's so important that Jesus dies on the cross. And that's why it's important for us not only to accept you know, the love and the grace and all this stuff, but also to accept the reason, which is the justice. We have to accept it all. All right. Um, that's it. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get on out of here.
2: There's a when the heart is-